is what the war in Vietnam is all about. Communism was on the march. I knew that when I went to Vietnam, I was going to be killed. Never have men served with greater devotion. Explain Vietnam. I can't do it. This is Veterans Voices, Memories and Stories of Minnesota's Vietnam Veterans. I'm Kevin Berger. My name is Lee Walker. I served in Vietnam July of 1967 to January 20th, 1968. I was in the Army. and I served in infantry. How did you feel about it when you were drafted? I thought about Canada. I thought, I thought about Mexico. <laughs> and I said, no, I have to do the right thing. Let me go and do this and get this over. This is not what I want to do. But this is my calling, and I, I got to answer the call. Lee Walker is African-American, and he is among the disproportionate number of black men who were drafted, particularly in the earlier years of the war. Uh, There were far more African-Americans than would have been reflected by the population. Later in the war, they brought in the lottery. They used birth dates to randomize who was drafted in an effort to make it more fair. Now that came with its own problems, and it came too late for Lee Walker. I did one tour in Vietnam, and I was cut short. About two months before I was to finish my tour, I was wounded, and I was not going to be ready to go back to the field for a long, long time. It was a group of about seven or eight of us going out for the setup for the night. And all we would do is go out and set up and be on the lookout for anyone traveling around our perimeter. It's dust dark. Just before we got to our location where we were scheduled to set up for the night, we walked right into an ambush. And they blew it on us by surprise. And in a matter of seconds, they had blew the ambush. Claymore mines, automatic rifles, grenade launchers went off on us. Everything happened so fast. I bent at the waist and bent over, and they shot my rifle right out of my hand. But I had access to the radio. I could talk on the radio. And I told the uh, company commander we had been shot. Told them we need medivacs, helicopters, and they sent out help right away. And the helicopters got these big lights they shine down on. They were looking for the enemy, and there was no enemy. They were gone. And they just picked up the leftovers there. The ones that was wounded, we got dragged out to clearance. The medic would do whatever he could. And like I had a hole in my back that I was taking all my oxygen. He had to cover that with bandages so, so I could get flown in. And once he covered it and patched it up, then I could breathe a little bit. They put me on a helicopter into the uh, hospital. I, w- I went to the 9030 back, and they cleaned my wounds and patched me up until I was able to travel. I, when I was able to travel, I flew into Saigon. When I was able to travel again, they put me on a medevac plane, flew me into Japan for about another 30 days. And in those 30 days, they worked on me and got me able to travel to the United States from there. 
all day long I had to work a rubber ball to keep everything moving. The joints had to be moving backwards and forward. And I did that for a few months, three, four months. When I came home for a visit, they thought I looked like a, a zombie. <laughs> I was banished from the waist up. It's internal damage. It's shrapnel on my lungs and in my back. When I take an x-ray, it shows up. When I talk to the doctors about an operation or something, they say it could be do more damage than good. So I say, well, live with the pain. Living with the pain, that's something I heard from many of the veterans we talked with. There was the physical pain, but also the emotional and internal pain, uh, the pain of losing those that they served alongside. What happened to the other people in your group that day? I don't talk about that because that's their story. Those stories are difficult to tell. They're difficult to talk about because it's too emotional. As the years have gone by, has it gotten easier? It gets easier, but it's never over. Many of us have sleepless nights where we dream about that firefight that we were in. We dream about what happened and how we got out. As an African-American, when we saw another African-American, we call them brothers. <laughs> hey, blood. <laughs> there was maybe 60 to 160 guys in our company. And it may have been 10%, it may have been 15%. And it was during the time of the Martin Luther King, the riots and the segregation and all of that. So they would feel comfortable with uh, their own nationality at that time. But it had to be very discreet. No one could talk about it, no one brought it up, because you have to remember everyone is carrying a rifle. If they get an attitude and they're in a firefight, they shoot anybody they want. We learned to treat everyone with respect. We learned who to trust and who not to trust. You learned the personality of the person. But we had some mean-spirited individuals. We just had to know who they were. But on top of worrying about the enemy, you had to worry, you had something else to worry about that people who, you know... Yeah, you had enemies in your own group. We don't talk about that. We ain't going to talk about that. In general, are you, are you glad you had that experience, or do you totally wish you wouldn't have? No, it's an experience that I'm a different person with that experience. And it changed you how? It made me a better person. In what way? Uh... I learned to give up anger. I learned that there are fights you have to walk away from. I learned that you you, you don't have to uh, win every fight. You don't have to be in every fight. And it's a lot easier to have a humble spirit. And whatever happened, put it aside and move on. All of the veterans that I talked with had their own unique story, of course, but I saw themes as I continued with this project, and I would hear something that 
one person would say it wouldn't mean much, but then when I would hear it again, I, I would start to key on it. And there was a phrase that I heard, don't mean nothing. The first person who talked to me about that was Ron Easton. Don't mean nothing. He was telling me how that helped him, just a little four-word mantra. And then I heard from a nurse who told me the same thing. So two different parts of Vietnam, a nurse and a soldier, a black man, a white woman, and yet they're both... uh, coming up with this phrase that was used out in the field. And there was a saying that a lot of soldiers uh, subscribe to, it it don't mean nothing. Anything that happened around you, it don't mean nothing. As long as you are alive, it don't mean nothing. In the decades following the end of combat, the dark phrase persisted. It Don't Mean Nothing has been used as the title for two Vietnam memoirs, an anthology of short stories about the conflict, and a bluesy tune written and performed by a Vietnam veteran. It don't mean nothing It don't mean a damn thing It was a phrase that Army nurse Suzanne Constantini heard often. She thought it cemented solidarity in the troops who spoke it. Don't mean nothing. That was a phrase just used if something happened, they would say, don't mean nothing. You can't worry about it. You know, it happened. It it don't mean anything. It don't mean nothing. You have to get through the day. You have to move on. You can't ruminate about it. Constantini used the saying herself to keep going during her 12 months in country working in a hectic intensive care unit. There was a time in August of uh, 1970 where our entire ICU worked something like 18 to 20 days straight because the 25th Division had gone into Cambodia and they tripped booby traps and we basically got platoon after platoon. In Hamburger Hill, the 1987 film about a bloody 10-day battle that took 70 American lives in Vietnam, a sergeant interprets the bleak meaning to the squad he leads. Well, don't mean nothing. Send them home in a rubber bag with members missing stamped on it. Don't mean nothing. Later in the movie, a group of African-American GIs huddled to shake off the shock of losing a buddy, chanting the slogan during their signature dap, a connection that originated among black soldiers in Vietnam as a show of unity. Nothing. Not a thing. Not a thing. It don't mean nothing. Not a thing. It don't mean nothing. Not a thing. Do you think that sort of detachment helped? I think it does. It, it did. It was like, it, I mean, if you, if you were over there and worried about everything all day, every day, you'd go crazy. But it did mean something, didn't it? It did. But this was one of those things that you just kind of, I don't want to say flippant, but it was kind of one of those mental checks that says... You know what? You got other things to worry about. When Constantini's hitch in Vietnam was up, her unit gave her a going-away gift, a plaque with a map of the country and the saying, it don't mean nothing, printed on the bottom. 
It still hangs in her home study. The retired nurse finds she still uses the phrase sometimes. So does Ron Easton. It's worked for me. It has protected me from heartache, from disappointment. I was so lucky that so many of our Minnesota veterans were really willing to sit down and be so frank and honest in sharing their memories. And I know that for some of them, it was still quite painful. They are still in some, some of them uh, deeply injured by what they came home to. And I'm hoping that maybe through listening to these stories, uh, some of the uh, additional radio stories that we've done from these Vietnam veterans, that we can better appreciate what they experienced. And you know, it, it's still not too late to say thanks. Veterans Voices Vietnam is produced by Amberts, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with the Minnesota Humanities Center and support from the state of Minnesota. Online at amberts.org. This is Kevin Berger for Veterans Voices Vietnam.